What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast with Adam Comero, your host as usual. So Duke has played four Zionless games since my last pod, which actually makes it the first time a full week has gone by since conference season started uh, with without an episode. So hey, I think that's uh, pretty consistent right there. So, but either, the reason was it was kind of interesting when to choose when to record a new episode. Just considering the difference in evaluating Duke with and without Zion, and especially with kind of you, we were expecting him back. It was day to day. This has got to be the loosest day to day kind of updates ever when somebody's referred to as day to day because we're not quite sure at this point. Uh, Coach K said he's definitely coming back, but. I think uh, I get into that with Sean. But either way, I figured the last four games has offered plenty of interesting storylines, which would be fun to talk to with Sean Crest, uh, Duke and ACC beat reporter for the North State Journal. So, uh, And there'll be plenty of opportunities to break down stats, X's and O's, and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and I'll definitely do that when I ramp up the uh, pod schedule during the postseason as usual. But uh, Sean and I definitely still got into a lot of that. Um, but with senior night, the mental aspect of playing uh, without Zion, and of course the usual Mike Buckmeyer portion of the pod, I think this is a real fun episode. We uh, deep dive a lot, and uh, at the end we get into possible ACC postseason awards and uh, Saturday's UNC game as well. So there's a lot of good stuff there. As for ACC tournament seating, it's pretty simple. If Duke beats Carolina and Louisville beats UVA, Duke is the number one seed and tied for a three-way regular season ECC championship with UVA and UNC. If uh, Duke wins and UVA wins, number two seed. If Duke loses, no matter what else happens, number three seed. Pretty cut and dry. UVA is not losing. I mean, if they lose, I will be shocked. So I think it's basically the number two or three seed. You win two, you lose three. I think I think that's what's going to happen. But either way, lots to talk about. And uh, keep in mind that if you in uh, if you enjoy this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, spread the word. If you want the pod to continue next year on a consistent basis, it is Comro's Corner. In iTunes, that's where you'll find the Duke Basketball Corner Pod. It's available anywhere on YouTube, on uh, Spotify, and the Podbean is the main website. So, But word of math, grassroots, that's the way to do it. Uh, if you want the pod to continue next year on a consistent basis, this is the way. So, uh, enjoy this. Uh, it'll probably be the final episode of, the re- of just kind of going over regular season stuff. Then it's on to uh, obviously go over the UNC game, but then it's on to postseason. So, interesting times ahead, exciting times ahead. As uh, some might say, this is March. Okay, I'm now joined by uh, Sean Crest of the North State Journal covering Duke and the ACC on the beat. Sean, thanks so much for joining me and... That was a really interesting senior night for Duke against Wake Forest in many ways. How would you say it compares to uh, senior nights in the past that you've covered? 
Well, I mean, a lot of times senior night is the North Carolina game. So Duke has lost on senior night before. Um, I don't think that they've ever suffered a loss or a near loss that would have been anywhere near on the level of last night. Um, that was just, yeah, shocking. It, I remember the first time they played Wake Forest this year and Wake kind of hung around for the first half. Uh, they led, I think, briefly in the first half. And, you know, even close to halftime, it was still a close game. Everybody was kind of – it was early in the ACC season. Everybody was kind of freaking out online, uh, what's wrong with Duke. And, and you just kind of got the feeling that they were going to pull away, which they did in the second half in Winston-Salem. Uh, and you kind of got the same feeling last night, that that was what was going to happen, that they're just letting them hang around for a while. And Wake just never went away. Um, and it was – you know, you're looking and suddenly there's eight minutes left and it's still a one point game. There's six minutes left. There's four minutes left. Uh, it was just a very, a very weird game. Just, to, you know, it it kind of defied all expectations, I think, of of going into what what, what last night was going to be like. Yeah, and I think that has been, um, I wouldn't say a, wor- a worrisome, but, well, I mean, I guess you can um, at, at times, a worrisome tendency for Duke to just... I think energy is just the biggest thing by far for Duke. Whatever can create energy for the team in any game is a good thing, and they have started out slow in some games, and that's what makes Zion so important. When they come out in the second half, he is just, he's basically a ball of energy, and combined with his physical stature, they just usually roll teams, because all it takes is for Duke to grab that quick momentum, and it's done. So, uh, yeah, the first half, as you were saying, with the first game against Wake, yeah, definitely the same thing. And yesterday, I was wondering if that would happen as well. And uh, obviously, it didn't. Let, let me ask the uh, the final shot. It wouldn't have counted anyway. It hadn't left the hand. But when with you watching live, did you think um, it would have watching it live? And how how did the fans react? Yeah, I uh, I. Um... I thought they had lost. I thought it was going in. It rolled around. I, I thought Duke has just lost this game. This is, you know, this is just it, it, all the all the different planning for, you know, ACC tournament seedings, what's going to be at stake of the Carolina game, and you can just throw it all out because no one expected that to happen last night. Uh, it didn't, yeah, it didn't occur to me live that it might be after the buzzer. It looked like it was fine. And like I said, it looked like it was going in. Um the fans, uh, they, they kind of held their breath there, but it was, you know, the, they're fans. They're they're um, they're loud and they're supportive, and yeah, they kind of erupted as soon as it as soon as it fell off. I think they knew before I did uh, that it hadn't gone in, uh, and it was just kind of. Uh, and I, I watched a replay this morning, and you kind of see um, they have the angle from behind the basket, and you can see the entire student section just kind of leap up as one, uh, just as it falls off. So I, th- I thought that was a pretty good. That was a pretty good picture of, of what the fans' reaction was. Yeah, I, th- I think the fans were really great uh, throughout the game. I mean, for senior night, and especially, you never quite know how it's going to go. I mean, I think, I don't know this, and that's what I'm interested for you to give input on. I think everyone was kind of hoping, possibly expecting, kind of this Hollywood type of senior night where Zion would come back. And then when he was announced he was out, I think it, it kind of took the air out of some fans. But I'm just saying how I might think it would happen. But how did you feel the effects in Cameron Indoor? Or were they just on point from the get-go? Um, I mean, they, 
the announcement came out, at least for the media, the announcement came out mid-afternoon that, that Zion wouldn't be playing. Um, so it's not like it was a sudden game-time decision or anything like that. Um, so, no. So I don't, I don't think there was any letdown from the fans as far as that. I was surprised that he didn't play just because it seemed like all indications on the teleconference the day before. Kay seemed, uh, seemed optimistic, said he was on step four of the four-step process. Um, and it just kind of made sense that you'd play him against that opponent just to have kind of work off the rust, get the conditioning, run up and down the court uh, before the before the big games, before Carolina, and then of course the, the tournaments. Uh, so just from a from a bringing him back from an injury standpoint, I, I thought it made sense not to give him a full game, but to give him you know just some good minutes in the first and second half. Um, but yeah, that that didn't happen. But I know I don't think that that affected the mood in Cameron in any way at all. I didn't see any quotes from Zion anywhere. Are they? Uh, is he talking to the media at all, or no access right now? Uh, well, I mean, we get the locker room after the games, and it's you know he's he's not hanging out in the in the he's not undressing, he's not changing, he's not he's not hanging out in that area of the locker room. So no, we don't have access to him. I don't think they're denying us access to him. I just think that he's not there after the games because he hadn't played. Um, so I don't know where he goes, but there's other, you know, there's a million different rooms and annexes off the locker room, but yeah, he's not, he's not in there immediately after the game when we get to go in. Okay. And before we move on to uh, more actual kind of basketball stuff, I do just want to mention with good reason. Um, I mean, Antonio Vrankovic and, uh, Brennan Besser, those were the two seniors who, uh, celebrate the night. Vrank got the start, the Vrankening. So Vrank, you very much to Antonio, uh, Besser, I think um, an early story that kind of vanished, it was just really something I talked about in the, actually back in the preseason uh, preview pod, where he biked across the country to raise money for the IDD yep. community, the intellectual and developmental disabilities community, his sister's nonverbal. So I think that was just one of the coolest kind of bigger than basketball things. And Frank, he's really stayed the course he rarely gets playing time, but always with a good attitude. Did you have a chance to speak to either, if not both of them? If so, what were some of uh, what they said after the game as for how they feel about their Duke career? Um, I mean, I, I, I've spoken to them a few times over the year. I didn't talk to them. I didn't talk to them last night just because, again, that's one of the things that the game kind of changed the script on you, where you're assuming you're going to be doing a senior night story and talk about their contributions um and then and then instead you've got this this near upset that you have to that you have to cover so no i i i had to talk to the you know the main contributors to the game uh so didn't get a chance to really to catch up with them as much as i would have liked to but yeah no i think i think both of them you know kind of kind of hoped that they would have more of an on-court um impact especially this their senior year but they um no, you, you never saw either of them let down at all. You never, you know, they were always very positive, always among the first ones off the bench, you know, when there was a good play or when there was a timeout. Um, it was, it was, um, you know, I think Frankovic would have been the captain, except I knew he wasn't going to go out of minutes this year. You can't give the captaincy to, uh, to somebody who's not going to be out there on a regular basis. But I think as far as his attitude uh, and his leadership, uh, he did all that he could in the, in the role that he had. Um, he kind of acted like a, an extra captain, even though he didn't have the official title. Um, and then Besser, yeah, we got to talk to Besser before his bike trip uh, across the country, uh, which was very interesting. Like you said, his sister suffers uh, from that ailment, and, and he was trying to raise money for that. And he actually had never 
done cycling before. Like he'd done it as a hobby, but it's not like he was, you know, he'd never been in races, never done distances or anything like that. Uh, we asked him beforehand and he said he just kind of rode around Durham <laughs> on his bike. And now he was going to go cross country. Uh, and, and at first he was going to try to run cross country, but he had about the same experience running as biking. And then experts convinced him that it was probably safer to to take the bike. That he was less likely to hurt himself or, or suffer an injury uh, biking than he was if he tried to run that distance. So it was, um, no, it was something you could see that he's got a big heart uh, and that he was able to accomplish that is, is quite a quite a feat for him. Yeah, I mean, most people's bike rides are uh, kind of down the street or on on a trail. His his bike rides is across the country, so great. That's a great thing he did. Um, another part of the game that really warmed my heart as the uh, as the bi- as the big Mike Buckmeyer uh, fan, the the <laughs> basically the head of the bandwagon for Mike Buckmeyer. Anyone who doesn't quite know what I'm saying, search Twitter. Ninety nine point nine percent of Mike Buckmeyer tweets. Or from me, I talked about Sean. I talked to Sean a little bit about this last time about his relationship with uh, Zion, which is just really cool. And something which is, I mean, I always just kind of tweet random things about Buckmeyer as a joke, anyway. But this morning, I saw Marilyn Payne, an ACC reporter. She had a uh, video clip from the end of the game where Jack White. He, uh, I'm sure everyone knows by now that uh, I mean he stepped on the line on the inbounds pass after Brandon Childress scored. I, it was just, I don't know if it was miscommunication or what. I don't even want to watch that play again to understand exactly what went on. I'm sure it wasn't hard to decipher, but I just don't even want to, you know, that play never happened. Um, but either way, he was basically, his hands were on the back of his head. He looked like he'd been hit by a truck and he was alone just after it would, it was over. He's like, Oh my God, I can't believe I almost blew the game. That's what he possibly was thinking. And then from across the court, Mike Buckmeyer runs all the way over to kind of, I don't know if console is the right word, but just to kind of boost him up and just like be there for him with, when everyone else was just doing their thing. I mean, that's the type of, I mean, you got to love walk-ons and Mike Buckmeyer is just, I love him. He's awesome. (laughs) And um, he does that. I mean, he does that a lot and he, um, Especially with Jack White, I've noticed that uh, in in recent games because of kind of kind of how you feel about Buck Myers, how I've been feeling about Jack White um, when he was going through that horrible shooting slump, and you just uh, Coach K has said this a few times that he just takes everything so seriously and so personally, and you knew if anyone in college basketball should not go through that, it, it was him because you know. People always say shooters have to keep shooting, but you know that he was going back to his room and just agonizing over every video of every shot he took because that's just that that's the way that he reacts when, when things don't go well when he gets criticized things like that uh coach k has said that he's had to cut back on yelling at him at practice because he takes things so personally he has to be careful how he how he speaks to him um and you could just tell talking to him after games that he was it was just tearing him apart uh so yeah i felt a little fatherly when he finally when he finally broke the streak <laughs> against miami uh and the shots started falling for him but yeah and i think that that's that yeah again if there's something that someone that you don't want that to happen to at the end of the game it's probably him as well because you know that he's gonna yeah take that to heart take it very personally and Buckmeyer and Justin Robinson also to some extent um you know they kind of 
they're, they're kind of his cheering squad. They're, 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 they do that a lot, where they come and, and greet him as he's coming off the court or during shoot-arounds when he was still in that slump. Um, anytime he would make one during shoot-arounds before games, uh, one of the two of them would be, you know, right there patting him on his head or, you know, saying something to him, joking with him. So, you know, they're, they're trying to keep his spirits up. I think they can read just what his personality type is like, and, and they're, they're helping to manage that. But, um, yeah, he's they're both very, very good kids. I enjoy talking to both of them. They're, they're just a lot of fun. Um, stories you don't get to write quite as much as you'd like to uh, just because of the way that the, you know, the star power is laid out on the team. But, yeah, they're, they're very – very interesting uh, cast of supporting players on that team. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, obviously we see the uh, post-game interviews when Duke wants to put them out, always after a win, never after a loss, which is amusing to me. It, um, but, I mean, stuff like Jack White taking stuff really seriously, I would have no idea about that. So it is kind of, that's great insight to get to know about the player's mindset. I actually wrongly possibly considered him somebody who might actually be the guy to lighten the mood for some of the stars like someone like cam reddish who struggled at times turns out that jack white's the one who's the uh kind of takes things really to heart so yeah i mean that that's really great information that um it's just nice to have some insight into these players besides just what they put out on the official social media or what we see them do on the court as basketball players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, personality-wise and just demeanor-wise, he reminds me a lot of Wendell Carter uh, from last year. We're talking to Wendell. You, you just you couldn't imagine Coach K yelling at him in practice. You couldn't imagine how he would respond to that, how he would stay there and look Coach K in the eye and, and get yelled at the way that Coach K gets on players. So it's just, yeah, talking to him, talking to Jack White, you just you feel like he has to treat them differently. And he, like I said, admitted that he does treat Jack differently just because you can tell that they've, they're very, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but yeah, they're very sensitive um, to wanting to do well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> he, when, when he's in a good mood, when things are going well for him, yeah, he is, he does lighten the mood. He is a lot of fun. He tells a lot of jokes, but yeah, he, he wants to do well. Uh, and, and it bothers him when he doesn't. And that it just, you just break your heart. It breaks your heart to watch him go through that. Uh, so yeah, I was glad that, I was glad that that didn't cost him at the end last night, and I was glad that he finally finally ended that drought. Yeah, maybe it's because Wendell was more of a high-usage guy, but I definitely noticed how he would tend to overthink things and take things to heart. I guess Jack, maybe it's just because, again, this is just silly assumptions. He's the glue guy. So glue guys, they just do what they're told, <laughs> and yep. they, they, they don't really – they're not concerned about stats. But especially when you only have – a couple of attempts each game to improve your stats. If you only have two shots each game, yeah, I mean, it's tough because each one holds such importance in terms of finally kind of getting that monkey off your back. I mean, especially with the the Syracuse game, when you finally get those 10 shots and miss them all, yeah, you know that people might be thinking certain things. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was great for him to uh, – think he was 0 for 28 0 for yep. february and then he started out i believe uh five for uh five first first five in the month of march so that yeah yep. that, that was really cool i mean with with rj barrett you know that, that's a bad week going over 28 but yeah like you said with him um you know it, it's growing it's 18 now it's 20 now it's 21 now and it's just, it seemed to last so long because he's only missing one or two a night and every night he's talking to you about it and he just he would get frustrated. I, I asked him 
a couple of times, are they going in and practice? And he would get kind of angry. You could see him like show emotion and be angry. And he's like, yes, they're going in and practice. And it's, it's almost like he wanted to be missing them all so he could figure out what it was and fix it. But everything's fine in practice, and then in games it wasn't, and that was just driving him nuts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the team, I mean, I would say the two biggest kind of, I guess, overall – I don't know if you want to call them narratives or storyline, but, uh, I mean, nine of the 18 conference games, assuming Zion does not play against UNC, they haven't had the full lineup. I mean, I don't really think it's a huge deal with their talent to go into a game knowing they're missing one of the players, but I, I think, I mean, the FSU game, the Syracuse game, and uh, the Syracuse first game, and uh, the UNC game, just to lose guys all of a sudden there's just really no way to game plan for that so i think that's what made it really difficult so that's one storylines and then something that Kay said and this is just my opinion i'm not even sure i mean i guess you just have to take him at his word i'm i i guess taking a little bit of a bigger kind of leap by questioning it but uh something that wasn't printed in the uh duke post game quotes on their site but I saw it written by um, with a C.L. Brown in the, an article in The Athletic that Coach K, after the game, had talked about how the players thought it might be – or the players thought it would be easier without Zion than it has been. And it's just like that really confused me. And then I read – you gave me the full quote with uh, – he said, playing with a full deck has been – Playing with not a full deck has been very difficult. I think we thought it was going to be easier, and when it wasn't, we're not old enough and we haven't played together enough. And what he's saying about the other stuff, uh, not experienced enough, I mean, uh, like when uh, Duke lost Elton Brand back in the day, they could switch the lineups and they had enough experience to make up for it. When Boozer went out uh, in 2001, they could find a way with Casey Sanders because they had the experience in other positions. This doesn't. But in terms of the players thought it would be easier, I find that really, really tough to believe. And it makes me feel like I don't know. It's almost like K over the years, what he's ne I'm not ever saying he's lying. It's just there's definitely um, kind of a message he wants to get across and to really be stamped in everyone's mind as to how to view this Duke team. And I'm just not sure about this one. I don't know how any players, no matter their age or their experience, you lose a guy like Zion Williamson – I'm not sure how an excuse, and I'm not even saying he meant it as an excuse, but to say the players thought it would be easier than it's been, I find that tough to believe. How did you interpret that um, in terms of what Kay said? Yeah, I mean, live, listening to it, it, it didn't really register as being that outrageous a statement to me um, it, until, until basically you brought it up on Twitter this morning and I responded to you. It hadn't occurred to me to, to interpret it the way you're interpreting it. It was more, you know, they just almost got upset by by Wake Forest, who is the the one team that that can never happen to, you know, that, that team, at least this season. Um, and you know, it was kind of I, I took it in real time as one of those things that coaches say. You know, we thought that we could just come out here and win. 
We, we thought that the name on the front of our shirt was going to give us the victory. You know, that, that's, that's how I interpreted it in real time was, was just basically uh, that type of thing. We thought this was going to be easy tonight. Okay, okay. so yeah, that's, a, that's a big, big uh, issue. I was about to say, because I hadn't even thought about it. I thought he meant in general. When Zion went out, it was just, they would be fine. He, if he was talking about just that game against Wake, yeah, okay, that makes a little more sense. And I can see that I can kind of empathize that from more of a human perspective. I, I think I just interpreted that wrong. It, it looks different on paper than it sounded live. Uh, so I, I think that that's why. I, and, and that happens a lot with Kay, where he'll start a sentence and then kind of catch himself in the middle and restart a different thought. And you can completely understand what he's saying and follow his thought process just by him doing it in front of you. But then when you look at a transcript, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Uh, so I think that's what happened last night is the way that he was speaking about it. And, and uh, it was clear what he meant. But then when you look at it in black and white, uh, it seems very different. Yeah. And see stuff like that. That's exactly why you said Twitter. That was actually DM. Cause I mean, if I'm not sure about something, I don't want to put that public because I can just, because yeah, that can make you, you by, and by you, I mean me look absolutely silly if I don't have the proper context of where it's coming from. So that's definitely good to know. In terms of the nine of 18 games, have you, how have you seen if, or, or how that's affected the on court, off court chemistry, or if it's affected at all, how um, do you think the players have reacted to just not having a full squad most of the time? I think in 2017, there was kind of, everyone was in and out of the lineup. And especially this year with, I mean, Reddish missed the second half, Way back versus Eastern Michigan, Zion poked in the eye, Florida State, then Trey early against uh, against uh, Syracuse, uh, when um, and, and then Cam. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone thought he would miss Syracuse before or just before the game. Zion immediately against uh, North Carolina. So it's just these random occurrences. It's not like injuries where you know they're going to be after so It's just all of a sudden it happens. So how has how it affected their on-court, off-court demeanor and also just in basketball, just straight basketball-wise? Um, I think, I mean, you do lose guys to injury all the time. You also lose guys to foul trouble. I mean, you know, your game plan to have a guy and then he picks up two fouls in the opening minute and a third foul when he comes back into the game and, you know, you don't have him for a half or for 30 minutes. Uh, so that stuff does happen even if it's not an injury, I understand psychologically an injury, you know, watching a guy blow out his shoe and go down like that or watching Trey Jones take that hard fall, you know, that does something psychologically a little different. Um, but it was tough when Kay was talking after both of those games about how difficult it was. It was, it was tough to, it, it was tough for me anyway, to figure out what the difference is between if, if they had just been calling a very strict game and Zion Williamson picked up three early fouls, why is this different? Um, but they do, they do react differently. Um, and I think that's also maybe part of the reason they're bringing Zion back so slowly is that Krzyzewski didn't like the way that they reacted when that happened, uh, in the Syracuse game and in the UNC game, because they, um, they, I don't want to say panicked, but they like, yeah, they didn't have their game plan and they couldn't freelance, I guess would be a better word for it. Um, and, and they struggled to figure out what to do without it all written out for them, you know, or whatever, you know, I get the impression that this group of players, uh, they have the game plan and they're good enough that they can execute it to a T and it pretty much always works. Um, and so now they're kind of on their own. 
which when you think about that talent level, it's kind of weird to think they can't freelance like that because you would think that's how they would prefer to play. But that seems to be, you look at the, all the outside shots they took against Syracuse, uh, even though they weren't falling, uh, Barrett wasn't trying to drive at all, even late in that game. Um, and then against Carolina, it wasn't quite as evident, but still they shot more threes than twos in that game. Uh, once Zion Williamson went down where it's just, they, they had trouble running a normal offense when something went wrong like that. And so I think, I think they're getting extra work that maybe they, maybe they don't need from a medical standpoint on coping with that because you never know what's going to happen, a fluke injury or foul trouble in a tournament. And I think Kay sees that as a potential weakness if they, if they can't adapt and adjust on the fly like that. Yeah. I mean, Syracuse, I kind of, I've, I've gone over that a lot on, other pause in terms, I mean, RJ was shooting 50% in the second half. And I think, I mean, he played all 40 against FSU and just to lose two of the guys. And I think just to carry the full weight, I mean, you could just see his legs die. And he was the only one who could create. Uh, Cam wasn't there to spread against the zone. And I mean, I think he finished like two of his last 17. So yeah, I mean, they, they weren't, they were just chucking against the zone. He's the only one who can create. And that is some of the problem with with so much on RJ's shoulders right now that I will get into. But uh, I think let's start out just with, with the issues of, I, I say that Duke needs energy. Energy is the most important thing. So in order to get that energy, you just need as many opportunities as possible, whether it comes transition, getting steals, or, or, or Trey being able to push pace when guys leak out. It's all kind of working kind of symbiotically in a negative way right now. Guys can't leak out because the defense and the team rebounding, everyone needs to help because Zion's not there. Zion was such a band-aid for everything, and not just on offense where most people think just in the paint, but on defense in terms of being that guy who can um, really, even though he's 6'7", I mean, he is just fearsome um, as a rim protector and steals. I mean, if you look at their steals right now, it's nuts. I, I, I mean, they are not – I think they have either five or six total steals in uh, three of – besides Miami, the other three games out of the last four. And the steal percentage, it's below 5%. So everyone – when Trey was out – most people thought, like, that's why the steal percentage, it, it wasn't even that bad at that time. But with Zion, you can really see how much of a Band-Aid he was and how he allows other players to take risks. And when other teams are in transition, he can kind of stalk them and hunt them down kind of like a LeBron from behind. So I think Zion is just the ultimate Band-Aid. And if Duke's not getting transition, they're not the offensive rebounds are a lot less, very much related to Zion. The free throws... They're not getting to the line as much. Um, I mean, and they've had outlier three-point games, which have hidden some of the struggles before where Florida State and uh, Virginia and Notre Dame, I mean, those are the three games. And two of those games, Florida State and Virginia, they could have easily gone down if not for just crazy shooting that you just can't expect from a team that's bad in half court with Zion, really bad without him. So how do you – what's the biggest difference – um, I would say what part of the game has been most affected without Zion, or is it just a combo of everything? I mean, I would agree with you that they feel it more on defense than offense. Um, his shot blocking, both, both in terms of kind of the momentum building or the psychological effect that they have, 
but also the fact a lot of his block shots, even though they're spectacular to watch, they don't go 10 rows up in the stands. You know, he, he keeps them alive. He blocks them and kind of starts a break. Except for the one where he, where he jumped 25 feet to, to block <laughs> yeah, DeAndre Hunter. But, yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, it's they, you know, they, they could use a block shot to trigger a break. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's been gone. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, like you said, the, the steals have dwindled without him. Like, Trey Jones is basically the only one getting steals right now. And he's doing that in his on-the-ball defense right at the – Right, you know, when they cross half court, essentially, um, Cam Reddish had been second on the team in steals, uh, and he's gotten—he might have gotten one in one of the games, but his steals have almost disappeared entirely um, because he does. Because so, I think he's feeling, you know, that loss of Zion, where he could freelance a little bit, uh, you know, as they're trapping, as they're as they're trying to get the ball into, you know, into in run their offense. He he could kind of freelance out and, and strip the ball or poke it away or things like that. And, and he doesn't get those opportunities now just because everything on defense is harder uh, without Zion there, either under the basket or he's good enough where he can come out and help trap at half court, uh, even though he's a big guy. So I think that's, yeah, you, you're seeing it a lot in a lot of different, um, a lot of different aspects on the defensive end. Yeah. I mean, very rarely have they actually been forced by an, by an opponent to play kind of a grinded out half court game. It came against Texas Tech and Trey really stepped up there with uh harassing defense and a whole bunch of steals that helped him out. Um in a really low scoring game where they struggled to hit anything in half court. And then Virginia was just that random game where RJ started five of five from deep. I'm talking about the second Virginia game yeah. obviously. And it's just that what came out of nowhere. I mean, you look at Duke's three-point shooting for the year. I remember some people were saying, like, oh, but every, everyone has the narrative that Duke can't shoot. And I'm like, that's not a – that's not a. I mean, I guess narrative isn't the bad term. It's a soft narrative, and it's not a soft narrative. That's just the God honest truth. Duke is horrific shooting the ball in half court. They're better in transition because they really get into a rhythm. But this is not some made-up stat or some storyline. This is how it is. And it's it's tough right now, especially with uh, with uh, have the trouble of finding a real second score. Some other quick stats of uh, Duke seven conference games with the highest turnover percentage on offense. Six have come without Zion. So I mean that's something that was really impressive early on with Duke being such a young team. They were really protecting the ball very well, which is something last year's team had trouble with. And Zion, he just. It, there's no, the passing lanes closed down. Teams are sinking down low and really forcing Duke to beat them from outside, leaving Trey all alone in the, in the half court. And with Duke still trying to get to the rim, sometimes they try to do too much. The turnover rate's gone up. The three games with the lowest offensive rebound percentage have come in the last five. Uh, the steal rate, which obviously leads to live ball turnovers, I already mentioned, it's non-existent. And also you add to that, they're facing different kinds of uh, defenses, which they hadn't much before. I mean, they, they did face Cuse uh, the first – well, yeah, even Cuse the first time they were missing some guys. Then without, uh, without Zion, they faced that tough Cuse zone. Then the Virginia Tech matchup zone, which get, doesn't get nearly enough credit – I thought I thought that was a tough matchup for when you're just starting to get used to playing without Zion. I actually thought the offense was pretty good. That was the one game where the defense was just ugh, it, it was terrible. And then Wake, I actually thought they would play a little bit of zone and matchup like the first game. That didn't happen. They were straight man, but it's still 
without Zion, you have these constant adjustments going on and something that you started to talk about. And I'd, le- I'd like if you could go a little more in depth how Kay said we, we basically, in order to get that run going, get more energy, we had to stop to, uh, drawing up plays. We had to just basically run simple motion offense, and that's when it got going. And that's interesting to me because when you have a guy like O'Connell in there, he's going to have his issues on defense. So when he's in, I, I want to see them draw stuff up. But if it really is that much of a struggle to run set plays, then I guess that's why his minutes have been inconsistent because it, they're better off just kind of, as you said, freelancing. And uh, so, so do you think, uh, yeah, if you could just go a little more into freelancing versus actually running sets? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, <laughs> there are a lot of ways where Duke and Carolina seem to have almost switched roles this year. That that's something that Roy Williams has always done, where where you know they freelance. He doesn't. He rarely calls set plays. And this year, in a couple of their close late games, he's he's had to call timeouts and, and call set plays. So you've got kind of uh, Roy Williams taking a page from K and K taking a page from Roy Williams, just based on, on the way things are going this year. Um, but I think you hit on a lot of it. Um, it's just. It's such a change without Zion. Um, you don't have one or a lot of times two or even three guys on, on the other team's defense who are on, you know, at least partial Zion beat where they, they've got to keep an eye on them. They've got to sag back. They've got to, you know, help be ready to help out against Zion if the ball gets to him. Uh, and, and that lets them focus more of their attention on the guy in front of him. So I, I think that that's, you know, that's, they haven't had to, they haven't practiced plays like that because this injury is still relatively recent. Um, so they don't have the set plays really with, with what defenses are showing them now. Uh, so I think that might be part of it. Um, but yeah, I think that it also could be just that the way things were going last night, <laughs> it was one of those things where where you just kind of throw up your hands and say nothing else has worked. So let's just let's just see if we can make something happen and, and try that. We'll just change things up. Uh, and it, maybe it was, you know, just Coach K playing the psychology card, uh, seeing what they could do if he gives them the reins. Yeah, I mean, I, I did think K made a great adjustment against Syracuse, but at the same time, I don't know why he wasn't doing it in the first place. I mean, there's, it's the question of, I wish there were actually stats to show, I guess they differ among different kinds of uh, rosters, but whether or not it works better to have someone kind of posting at the high po- or just at the high post against the two, three receiving that pass and making play from there or flashing to the high post. And Duke really started off uh, in the second Syracuse matchup with just RJ. He was there and everything worked around him and there was just nothing going on in the second half. That's when Kay started using uh, Trey Jones and Alex O'Connell really flashing to that high post and it just created everything. And, all it takes is just a little bit of momentum, and that's all it takes for this team. Even without Zion, they're uber-talented, so all of a sudden, they built off that momentum and and ran with it. So, yeah, I mean, that was a great adjustment. I think there could be a little more like that, but I think, I mean, there's not obviously many 2-3 teams, especially 2-3s like Cuse, so it's tough to say I want to see more of those types of uh, adjustments. But, I mean, like, Trey Jones... I just think you, he could be used better, but at the same time, that's what is so interesting right now as for what is – how do you 
deal with young guys who you don't want to load them up with too much. And how much do you change the offense if you are expecting Zion back? Because you don't want to reinvent everything and fill up these guys' heads with too much. But at the same time, you, I think he can do a little more in-game and game-to-game uh, strategically. So, I mean, that, that, to me, that's just an interesting dilemma. How, how do you see that? Yeah, I, I think that I, I think they're expecting Zion back. And so I think that that's why they haven't put in as many changes as, as, as you might expect. Uh, you know, if you're out for the year, I think that these last few games would have looked very different. I think that the coaching staff, especially they had a little extra practice time uh, in, in recent days. And so I, I think the coaching staff would have put something together and kind of revamped things and gotten them. Uh, you know, with some adjustments, but I, I think that they're, I think they're to, in an extent, in a sense, waiting for Zion to come back and, and, you know, they're trying to do the best they can uh, without him there. Uh, and I think that that's also, again, why Kay is <laughs> making sure that he doesn't come back too soon where, you know, he, he wants them to get this experience. He wants them to have to figure it out on their own. Again, this is borrowing a page from Roy Williams, you know, why he doesn't call timeouts. He wants them to figure this out on their own. And they're going to need to, both in tournament time this year and for the freshmen you know, in the NBA, they're going to have to be able to do you know, that. That's a skill that you're going to need. And so I think that he's found that at times lacking in certain games this year. And so I think that that's, that's what he's doing. And the other way, the other thing about the, the freelancing, I think one thing that O'Connell does well that really no one else that plays regularly does is he, he can move without the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else is kind of used to having the ball in their hands all the time. Uh, and they're good at driving. They're good at, you know, they're, they're good at shooting from the outside. They're good at dribbling. They're good at posting up, but they're not good at, you know, running through screens and just making things happen. And so I think that that's the other thing that that, that that freelance style did is kind of take advantage of, of O'Connell, who's kind of a high energy guy and he does things that they really don't have any, anyone else that can do it. Okay. So you, I mean, you got RJ basically shouldering the entire load against wake and you're just really looking for that number two score, whether it's going to be cam or O'Connell and with so much more trust and responsibility on cam, it's tough to look at him coming out in the second half with three fa- I'm sorry in the in the first half with three fouls, three turnovers and zero points. It's just he's so talented and you just know, I mean, it's not a negative about how he's playing. He's given everything he has, but we I, I think I talked about you specifically uh last time I had you on the pod about he's got a kind of diversify like Wu-Tang Financial. He just goes 110% all the time. So he'll just drive slam right into people. There's no kind of, there's no change of pace. There's nothing. Once he starts, there's no stop. I think that was that Pringles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, yep. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, yes. Yeah, so so how, how have you uh, evaluated um, Cam's kind of inconsistency right now? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's no surprise that, that, his fouls were mostly on charges uh, last night that he, you know, that like you said, he's, he's not necessarily out of control, but he's going to, he's going to just go in there and, and make contact and not make any effort to, to get around. Now it seemed like, especially in the Miami game, he was starting to do that. He had a couple of really impressive spin moves. Um, and he was just kind of, he was, he was trying to be elusive when he was driving as opposed to just, being a bull and, and going straight forward and trying to get to the hoop. Uh, 
you saw that a bit more in the Miami game, and it seemed like you know I was I was I made a note of it because I'm like, well, this is a change. Zion is out, and this is a change. Maybe he's trying this to you know help make up for 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 the lack of of the big man in there. Um, but then last night it seemed like he reverted back to the way that he was. So yeah, it's kind of a mystery as to as to what he's doing. Like in Miami, he was very impressive. He has the skills to do it. He's just choosing not to use them. Okay, so O'Connell, you look, you look. If I'm just some random person looking at a box score and, and all I see is that, hey, he's shooting pretty well from three. Why doesn't he get more playing time? I, I mean, obviously his defense. Um, what have what have you seen um, specifically that prevents him from uh, not receiving more playing time? Um, I mean, yeah, Kay has said from the very beginning that his defense. I think he has improved defensively. Um, I think that he, he showed that he's capable of playing Duke defense in, in that first Syracuse game. He came out and got a bunch of steals and, and made a lot of things happen on the defensive end. Um, it's just, I think that, yeah, he's, it's the inconsistency. Um, yeah, he has those box scores where he looks good, looks like a shooter. And then he has the ones where he doesn't seem to get a shot off. Um, and so I think that he's, he's just got to do it on a more regular basis. And we're not seeing that. Um, and so that, I mean, I really think it's, it comes down to, to basically that, that he's not, if he looked like he, if he put in a stat line, like he did last night in every game or two, you know, a couple three pointers, nine points, four rebounds. Um, you know, I think he would be getting more time, but you're not seeing that every time out. Okay. I think Javin, especially compared to early season when his foul rate was just off the charts absurd and you couldn't even put him in for more than five minutes. Cause you know, he'd have four fouls immediately. I think he, he's really improved. He's not kind of bouncing around. He's not all jittery. He, he's he's really kind of settled into his role, especially yesterday. I mean, he's never going to be some sort of lockdown defender, but I think he's making a ton of great plays, especially Duke's getting destroyed at times in transition, and he's saving along with Jack White. He's, they've both made some crazy plays on defense at the rim to save Duke from getting uh, – taking advantage of in transition. And I think it was especially noticeable yesterday when Bolden left. Um, what Bolden said it was his hip. He, he's a guy that's really proven himself um, throughout the season and has become a vital contributor for Duke. His stats won't always show it at times, but he was coming off a 15.10 uh, rebound game. I think his third double-double of his career, and uh, one of them came against uh, St. Francis, where Duke scored like 150,000 points the year before, so I don't even know how much to count that. But, uh, so, I mean, he's really doing great work for Duke, and he was lost two minutes into the game. What kind of effect did that have on Duke, and is it his hip, and how is he doing? Um, we didn't get much of an update on him. Um, like, I mean, he did he did come back and play you know, for a while in the game, so it's, you know, it doesn't seem like it's anything serious. Um, you just cringe because he's had so many lingering health problems, and this is not the time where you, you want him to come down with something else. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it's just a one-time thing, and, and it'll, it'll be, he'll be back to 100% quickly. Um, but, yeah, I, I would agree that he, he contributes a lot, and he doesn't get noticed. Uh, that much, but he's always, you know, he's he's a factor, especially with Zion out. I feel like he's doing much more. Um, he, he's on the perimeter a lot more, and he's just he's moving around a lot more than he did before. Um, he doesn't seem as mechanical as as he did even earlier this season, where he just seems much more fluid. Everything seems much more comfortable with him. 
Uh, as for Delorier, um, he's it, it's funny you mentioned Jack White, I and mean, he's doing a lot of the things that Jack White did earlier this season, where you know the kind of those garbage points and the the hustle plays and just going in there and doing the dirty work. And I think maybe it was because of the fouls, maybe it was something else, but he seemed hesitant to do that dirty work earlier in the season. And now he's not fouling as much, but he's doing more of that. So it's kind of a paradox there. Yeah, I mean, and they've got so many of these guys who, uh, not so many, but a lot of their bench players, at least, are guys who are great within their role, but you you have them really excelling at one end and being a liability on the other. With O'Connell, great offense. It's tough to watch him on defense. With Trey Jones, the reverse. With Jack White, um, that's why when he was making shots, it was so big to provide something on offense because you know he's going to contribute all the little things that make, I guess, glue guys glue guys. And Javin, I mean, he's doing his thing, but he's only going to be able to give you so much on offense. That's actually one thing that made it really impressive. When RJ ran a pick and roll uh, late last game and – Javin cut off his cut, and uh, RJ expected him to keep going. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that was smart by RJ. He's really improved his playmaking, but I don't know if you can trust Javin on that type of pick and roll. And then the next possession on offense gave it to him again, and Javin converted. I mean, that's just awesome to see that trust with a guy like Javin, and RJ's just improving. So He's improved so much as a playmaker, and I think that's something which is kind of – going under the radar a bit in terms of just that one aspect of RJ's skill set, how great he's been with so much in his hands. You can't just look at the usage. You have to look at how everything in the offense goes through him. And it's really impressive, just his improvement as a playmaker. No, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's, you know, he's he's had more assists than Trey Jones and I think three of the last four games. Uh, that includes, obviously, the triple-double. But, yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's... It's, it's another it's it's something that's that's developed relatively recently like he always he always got assists he always kind of distributed the ball he was always running the show when jones wasn't but you're just seeing you're seeing him get the ball to people where they can finish mm-hmm. i guess a bit more than he used to um and i i don't know i, I i'm trying i've been trying for the last few games to to make sense of why that would be something that you needed now. Maybe it's just that Williamson is so good at finishing on his own that you don't need to do that type of thing. And he's aware that with with the guys around him now that he does need to help them a little bit more. Maybe it's as simple as that. But, yeah, no, I've, I've been very, very surprised by his sudden uptick in, in assist numbers in recent games. Yeah, I mean, Trey's assists the entire year pretty much the majority have come in transition. And now mm. there's not as much transition – there's obviously, I mean, it's it's RJ who's initiating. He's pretty much initiated the half court, the mass majority of the season. And as Zion got more comfortable um, with ISOs and and kind of creating for himself and others, it was him too. But Trey, it, it's tough because teams are really playing off him. So, but I thought yesterday was actually one of the best games he's played in the entire season. And I was just, I actually tweeted that, and right after he got he got uh, his leg caught up, so I thought I jinxed him. He was injured, but nope, he was he was right back. I think he called it a Charlie horse, and man, he I've thought at times, I mean, he's a fantastic defender, but he got a little too much credit, um, and that's not to take away anything. Yesterday, I'm not sure he gets enough for what he did yesterday, especially I mean, again with the energy. 
he's trying to do, he was diving all over the place, kind of just taking risks and that's something duke has to do in order to create energy um the one one thing which this is interesting talking to jordan sperber the analytics x's and o's it's it's tough to because i don't know this stat like free throws i've been i'm not sure how seriously to take it but when it keeps happening in all the close games it is something worth noticing how yeah it's it doesn't quite it doesn't add up to a ton of points if they're not a great free throw shooting team but when it really is exposed down the stretch that's when it becomes worrisome and you look at the close duke games this season louisville did not affect it i mean it's it's almost worth wondering if that louisville run didn't happen with louisville looking like deers in headlights and never seeing a matchup uh, not a matchup a um a, a zone press before yeah i mean that I don't know. Something Louisville's in their own heads because it's not just Duke. They've done that a million times on the last two years. But uh, yeah, I mean, so Louisville and Virginia Tech, it, free throws didn't affect that either. But besides that, I mean, you got Syracuse. Zion, he missed a free throw with 15 seconds left, which would have won it in regulation. Or okay, I wouldn't say would have. It would have given Duke the lead and allowed them to just make a stop to win the game and avoid. Uh, Actually, let me start with the first, the first. All right, Gonzaga. When they played Gonzaga, Gonzaga was the team that was just atrocious from the free throw line. Then after Gonzaga, FSU. Trey missed a late front end of the one-on-one, and RJ missed obviously the free throw down one with five seconds left, which the, which uh, Florida State bungled out of bounds, which set up Cam's shot. But right. I mean, down you, you can't miss that down one. Then the Syracuse Zion missed free throw with 15 seconds left, which could have won it. Uh, Virginia, second half, 11 of 22 from the line. Zion was 3-7, RJ 4-7, Cam 2 of 4. A lot of them came down the stretch. And uh, then yesterday with Wake Forest, I mean, RJ, I I uh, saw after the game, he was 3 of 9 in the second half. Somehow I just didn't even notice, or I don't know, maybe I was just, I blacked out or something with the stress. But uh, he missed his last five, including three inside of uh, like two Two minutes, ten seconds left, and it's just—I I don't know. You, you, you—I I don't know if that's something. How worried to be like that, or just to accept that's just something to deal with with this team. And I don't know if it's going to get better. You just have to trust the alphas doing alpha things, and whatever happens, live with it. Yeah, and I mean, someone like like him, he's going to be at the line in, in those situations, just from the way that he plays. Uh, same thing with Zion, and they're both hitting about two thirds uh, from the free throw line. Uh, Cam Reddish is, I think, probably their best free throw shooter. Actually, Jack White might have a higher uh, percentage than him, but I think Cam Reddish is right there after him. Uh, but he doesn't get to the line anywhere near as much as, as, you know, somebody of that talent should. And I think that's what we were talking about before with just the way he's been playing, uh, where he's not he's not doing what he needs to do to pick up those fouls. Because I think if you had Reddish at the line and at least some of those situations late in the game, as opposed to just Barrett and Williamson, things wouldn't look quite as bad, but he's, you know, their good shooters aren't the ones that are getting to the line. And for whatever reason, the ones that are uh, getting to the line haven't been making them. Uh, And so I think it's been long enough that you've got to say that this is, you know, this is who they are. It's not just that they're in a slump, but they're, you know, they're going to hit two thirds from the line and that's what you've got to expect uh, and, and hope that it doesn't come late in the game when it's close. Yeah. I mean, you got seven games uh, that have been decided by five or less, and five of them have directly been free throw related. 
So, uh, I mean, including the one where Gonzaga almost blew it themselves mm. from the line missing everything. I would say I don't I don't think too much about this, especially during the year, but it is just kind of interesting because it is around the time, especially since Duke played their last uh, home game of the season, with uh, we know three of the guys are going um, pro with with uh, Marcus Bolden and Trey Jones. Let's start with Trey. Just in terms of not we're not making predictions, but in terms of why they might stay or why they might go, I thought uh, you made an interesting point, which I responded to about Bolden yesterday about why he could go about and Trey Jones. I mean, I'll say it would shock me if he stayed. I'll go out on a limb because it's just it's a really bad draft, and I'm not sure in Duke's system a point guard has the chance to really boost their stock. It's not a point guard. Uh, helped system. That's just the way it is. He always likes to run it with wings. And that, yeah. So, uh, Trey, I, I think he's gone. Uh, but, hey, I'd love to be wrong. Bolden, how, why? Well, okay, and I'd like to hear your opinion about Trey, but I'll, especially Bolden, because I think you gave an interesting opinion about him. Yeah, well, very quickly on Trey, um, I feel, I, I don't know if the numbers back this up. I haven't put them side by side, but just watching them, uh, I feel like he's better at this point than than Tyus was. And, and Tyus went and has been, you know, he's a, he's had a he's in his fourth year now. I mean, he's you know, I don't see any reason, like you said, for Trey to stay. Um, his brother didn't, and he's at least as good as his brother, uh, at least from my my one person's anecdotal experience of watching them. Uh, so yeah, I would be shocked if Trey if Trey stayed. Uh, Bolden, I feel like he's he's really improved this year. I, I feel like, like I said, he's much more fluid. He he doesn't have those those robot moves. I tweeted uh, something in one of the games recently uh, about that sandbox toy, where you know the 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 kids steam shovel thing, where you sit on it and then you move the levers to pick up the sand and make piles. And that's what Bolden used to be like when he got the ball when there was a loose ball or when he got the ball on the post. Was he's just moving in that same awkward motion towards the basket as, as if a kid were controlling him with levers and you're not seeing that uh, recently he's much more he's much more fluid he's making plays he's much more mobile uh and he's he's playing defense i just feel like he's he's made enough improvements he's a big guy he's doing things that nba teams will expect him to do and, and i don't know that that he I mean, he will get better next year. If he stayed, I think that he would be better uh, and might play himself into a, a lot more money. But but I feel like there's always that risk, especially with the injuries that he's had, that if he has a good run in the tournament, uh, I don't see him staying. I, I feel like, and I haven't talked to him about this, and I don't think he would have answered if I did, but I just don't see that that he would stay uh, just because of just because of the fact that he's a big man and that he has NBA skills that, that I don't see him staying. Yeah, I thought um, at first that if he's going to be asked to play backup again, um, because obviously he was backing up Carter and Bagley last year, and in zone defense definitely didn't help his skill set. So he was he he was actually pretty impressive just for what he was expected to do. And if, a lot of people thought he had a disappointing year last year. I don't know what you expect. I mean, you expect him to play over Bagley and Carter? Like I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's a little much. And uh, he actually, the win shares were the second best on the team in conference play when he got more uh, playing time when Bagley was out. So he was productive, even if it's not always 
pretty, and he's not going to be the most athletic guy, but I think his intelligence on the court is underrated. And uh, like it or not, NBA teams, the older you get, the lower some teams tend to value to value your uh, potential because it's all about the upside with uh, the NBA. So, yeah, that could factor in as well. I'd love to see him back, but uh, I don't know. I've heard Vernon Carey could be like a Wendell Carter, so maybe he would be able to get in at five. If, if uh, Vernon Carey is a pure five, I don't see how Bolden would stay because he would have to bat. He can't play four. That's I don't right. see any way that's possible. All right, um, so let's finish up. I This is the first year I haven't really paid uh, super attention to every single thing going on in the ACC. Where there's, it's now award season. Um, at the beginning, I said you don't just cover Duke, you cover the triangle, um, and obviously everything going around in conference. Do you have, do you have any opinions on let's say like let's start out player of the year? Has Zion missed too much, or is he the player of the year in your opinion? Um, we don't get to vote anymore, so luckily I don't have to make. Wait, this decision. what? what? Uh, they they have a panel now. Each team. I think it's based on everybody's, you know, annual complaints about North Carolina having too much influence over the rest of the league so that they've created a panel where each team, I think, gets to have two selections where they pick two and one of them is their radio guy. And then it's usually whoever's with the the main newspaper in the area. They they do the voting. So can you Uh, say uh, who is Dukes? I I would assume it's Steve Wiseman from the News and Observer. I don't know that for sure, but. It would be it would be a miscarriage of justice if he didn't get to to cast the vote for Duke, and then and then the other one would be the the radio guy Shoemate. So um, yeah, the, those those would be the two for Duke. Um, but I, I think that I would still cast my vote for Zion. I mean, he's just when he's out there, he's the most dominating player that I've seen really in college basketball, and that's that's uh, that's saying something. But I, but I'm pretty sure it's true. And he hasn't missed that much time. It's, you know, a few games, but it's not – they're late in the season when everybody's voting. But, you know, there were players that missed three, four games early in the season, and they're going to still get every consideration. But I think that because of what he does that no one else does and just his impact on the team both when he's there and as we've seen when he's not, uh, yeah, I think he would still get my vote. Uh, Barrett would get a lot of consideration as well, especially the way that he stepped up with the triple double and just missing a couple other triple doubles in recent recent games. Um, I think he's making a case that he should be considered as well. Uh, so I think from Duke, obviously those two should be, I would think at least top three uh, in the Player of the Year voting. Obviously Virginia will get uh, some consideration for Hunter, uh, Kobe White, or. Uh, Cam Johnson, perhaps from UNC, although I can't imagine voting for Cam over any of those other players that I've just mentioned. Uh, but that's just the local teams; those, those would be the main candidates. Um, if you were going to make like a first team, I mean, you obviously be Zion, RJ. I, w- I would assume you would go with uh, DeAndre Hunter. Yep. Um, then um, thinking it over, I mean, you have if you could only pick one of uh, Kobe White or Cam Johnson. Who would you go with? And then there's like, I mean, Kerry Blackshear has been a monster since uh, since mm. Justin Robinson went down. I think basically it's like Wendell Carter's skill set without his crazy <laughs> strength. I mean, Wendell Carter was like Wendell. Yeah, Wendell Carter was. I mean, his muscles. He had muscles on top of muscles. So it's almost unfair to 
place Kerry Blackshear in that comparison, but the same type of skill set, Duke had no answer for him when they played Virginia Tech, and I mean, Virginia Tech, it's kind of crazy. They've beaten Duke the last three years in Blacksburg, didn't play four years ago, and then the fifth year was 2015, and Duke, they barely beat him in OT. So, I mean, the Hokies, they've, uh, Buzz has given them some trouble. So in terms of, if you're going to take uh, Williamson, Barrett, and Hunter, who would be your last two if you're going to go with? Uh, first um, uh, the the two players I like best. Um, I don't know that I would. I would have to look into it to see. But the two players I like best are likes from Miami and, and Battle from Syracuse. Just seeing them in person, those are the two that impressed me the most. Um, I know that Bowman from Boston College should get some consideration. Uh, Reed from Clemson should probably get consideration. I don't think he'll be first team, but Mooney from Notre Dame has had an incredible season. Um, he'll be on one of the teams, I'm sure. But but I would say I would probably probably split the difference with the two players I like, and I would take Battle and Bowman as my as my final two spots on the team, and then Likes would be my very first vote for second team. Uh, as for the two UNC guys, I think you got to go with Johnson for first team ACC. He's just been the more uh, consistent player like when he's been the stabilizing presence that that team needs and you know you know what you're going to get from him every night and he's going to be their leading scorer every night uh kobe white is more exciting to watch but he's um you know he's he has the off nights he's a freshman he's he's not doing it every night the way that cam johnson is he's kind of been the backbone of that team all year long okay um if you're going with uh most improved. I would go with Jordan Noir. I mean, I predicted him at the beginning of the year, and there's nothing that he's done which makes me believe it should be anyone else. But I could be missing someone. Um, no, he. I mean, he would be my vote. I'm just going through trying to think of <laughs> who else might be just to just to have a discussion about it to try to think of who else we could possibly. I mean, I wouldn't uh, complain I mean, if you uh, voted in Buckmeyer. Yeah. <laughs> I was say Mooney might might get a, a, some most improved votes. Likes might get some most improved votes. Brandon Childress maybe, uh, but but no, I would say that that those are all fighting for second place behind Aurora. Yeah, I mean I got to be honest. If uh, if Likes, I I know uh, Duwan, uh, I think it used to be Huel. Now it's Hernandez or something. He changed yeah. his last name. He was uh, he's dealing with uh, the um, that uh, agent stuff that I'm yep. not. I don't have enough information to even talk about that, but I, but I mean, if if Miami had him, likes would be at a whole different level because I mean, Duke, their entire defense was just based on stopping him, and there, there was no other option. I mean, Trey did a good job, but every like Duke would just shade everyone over and switch big guys onto him and just warm down. It was frustrating, and I will say that with bias because I, I love my little dude likes. He's from Gonzaga. <laughs> And by Gonzaga, I'm not talking the state of Washington, I'm talking about D.C. And mm-hmm. I, I always I mean, I, he's the one guy I really I went on Twitter and said, please recruit this dude. He's a great kid. I mean, he went to Miami and the first thing he did was uh, to see if they were a good fit for hit the engineering program, which he wanted to do. I'm like, oh, look at that. He's a little nerd and he's he's a baller. Who, who, what more could you want? So I really wish Duke had recruited him. To say he would have been a fan favorite wouldn't even have come close. But, I mean, he, he looks like he's uh, doing really well at Miami. Really fun to watch. Great kid. Um, if you're going to say coach of the year, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. I mean, I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious, but saying that, that means it's probably not obvious. 
Uh, um, there's a bunch of candidates. I would say. Yeah, I mean, that, it all depends on how you look at it. Some people yeah. say like, who overachieved? Some people went just like Tony Bennett. He's doing it again. Or, or I'll say I'll go with Buzz, but I yeah, think that could be the yeah. wrong way to go about it. No, I would say Buzz. I don't feel like they're overachieved, but I feel like they, they they're finishing about where you expected them to, fourth or fifth. Um, but they're doing it without their best player. Justin Robinson has been gone for a month now, and they've, they're making a run without him. Like Just the fact that they can recover from a loss like that uh, and still be where they are, like that's, that says a lot about, about what he's done. So I, th- I, th- I think that, yeah, Buzz would be my no-brainer as well. Uh, I don't feel like it should be somebody that's exceeded expectations. I've always disagreed with that. It's an easy way to vote. Uh, but it basically means you were wrong about your preseason prediction. There may not be any coaching involved in it. You, we just didn't know how good this team was going to be. Um, I, I feel like that's what happened with Josh Pastor when he won it a couple of years ago. Um, but I feel like Roy Williams has done a good job with his team, uh, and I feel like he's done a lot more. Um, I shouldn't say he's done a lot more coaching, but I feel like the impact of his coaching has been more noticeable, I guess, by by folks like me, <laughs> maybe than in previous years, just in the game planning and like I said, him taking more of a role late in games, I feel like he's done a lot and gotten the most out of that roster. Um, Tony Bennett should always be considered for it. And Leonard Hamilton, I think, deserves some consideration as well because he's got Florida State. You know, they're, they've got the four seed right now. They've got the double bye. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily something that you could have could have said was going to happen going into the year. Like, we knew they were going to be solid. We knew they were going to be good. Uh, but they could have... They could have gone in either direction, so I feel like yeah, Leonard Hamilton's done a good job as well. I feel like they've kind of they kind of have gone in both directions. I mean, they That's they true. play the softest schedule. Imagine they they don't play any of the top seven teams in the ACC more than once. They lost to Boston College, I think, and they lost to another kind of oh, and Pittsburgh. Both those occurred after Duke, so maybe you could say that 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 was kind of a mental weight that dragged them down. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I could. I think I actually tweeted like a week ago. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State won the championship, national championship, or got blown out in the first round. That's pretty much how I feel about Florida State. And I don't care what any stats say about them. I don't trust them worth a damn. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and Tony Bennett, I got to give him credit because he has more talent than he's ever had. And he's not just doing the same old, same old. And while many might want to say, oh, we finally, it's because of what happened last year which somehow people love to ignore the fact they did not have DeAndre Hunter last year, which was, yep. uh, at least against um, UMBC, which was uh, very important. And But he's really expanded the offense from blocker mover to all kinds of different continuity, uh, ball screen offense. He's really doing great things, and it's nice to see him expand what Virginia does on both sides of the ball. So uh, I like that. Um, I guess uh, defensive player of the year. Uh, um, I'll say Hunter just because I don't know anyone else. Yeah, it's got to be a Virginia guy. I feel like Hunter. I feel like you could make a case for Zion just because he does the spectacular stuff on defense. Um, so I think he'll get some votes because of that. But yeah, I think that's Hunter's to lose. Uh, I can't. And maybe Mooney might get some votes as well. But I don't think Notre Dame was good enough that he'll be in contention to win that award. But I think you should get some votes anyway. Um, can't really think of anybody on UNC that stands out as far as defense. I mean, Trey Jones gets some votes as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's a guy I didn't even think about him. But, I mean, DeAndre Hunter, he's he's really impressive. He's just – he's not flashy. So, 
I mean, right. and, Virginia, and Virginia's not a flashy team, so they won't get quite <laughs> as much attention. And Duke is actually one surprising thing about their defense is even when without Zion, they've they've defended the three really well against two teams that shoot exceptionally: Virginia Tech and UNC. They were horrible against uh, Duke from deep, and and same thing with Virginia. Those three teams, last time I checked, they were among the top 12 in the country in three-point percentage. All of them struggled against Duke. And I, I think some of it had to do, do with Duke just selling out to stop the three, which did allow straight-line drives. But it was, it's also just really the length of Duke. But as someone who watches UNC plenty, is this the best UNC shooting UNC team you've seen? Because the 2005 team was really good, but this team they they can really stroke it. Yeah, absolutely. This is the this is the best. Uh, at least since Roy's been there, this is the best shooting team, and I can't think of many of Dean's teams that would have that would have been that I would have said was were better than them. Yeah, they've got you know, Luke May is is inconsistent from out there, but he doesn't take that many shots uh, from out there. Uh, yeah, especially with Luke May and Kenny Williams having down years. Yep, yep. But yeah, Cameron Johnson and then Kobe White. When he's on, he can just take a game, and, and you're not going to win if Kobe White is on. It's it's that simple. Um, and and yeah, so I, I feel like yeah, they're you don't. I think UNC fans are used to kind of cringing when they shoot from outside, and, and you haven't done that this year. They've been yeah, they've been much more consistent. They're 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 fun to watch when they're hitting from outside. Yeah, I mean, I think it's necessary because I mean, what I worried most about UNC at the beginning of the year was they only had one guy. Actually, I didn't even know if it, I, I thought it might be um, uh, Nazir Little who would be the one guy who could create off the dribble. I hadn't seen him. I don't really pay attention to recruiting. Turns out he can't. It's Kobe White, but nobody else can. Everyone else, it's more reliant on what the offense generates. So the fact that they are such a great shooting team, I think that has been vital for what they do. Although it can, if they're not hitting then it's a lot on Kobe White's shoulders, but that's why they use so much transition, so they won't be bogged down in half court. All right, so with Duke against Carolina, last thing, well, uh, Carolina, they, they're going to have two players, or definitely one in um, uh, Sterling Manley or Garrison Brooks, who wasn't there the first matchup? Uh, Manley, Sterling Manley. Okay, so they're going to have him, another big, and are they going to have Leaky Black? Do you know that? They haven't said either way. Um, they were originally, maybe not officially, but it, it was looking like Black was going to be back before Manley. It was kind of a surprise that Manley just kind of went out on the field after Roy Williams went, went out on the court after Roy Williams went down uh, in the Clemson game. Uh, so I, I don't think anybody expected that to happen. I know that Black hasn't been dressing. Like Manley's at least been dressing out for games for several games before he went in. But it was a surprise that, that he went in, and, and especially with a big guy, he's been out that long. You feel like his his uh, stamina is probably down. He doesn't have his wind. That They may just shut him down and hope that the NCAA will give him another year. So it was a bit of a surprise to see him go in. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I thought that Leakey was going to come back before Manly, so I would expect him back. And I feel like you want him back before the tournament starts so that you can work him in and at least get him – you don't want him feeling his way through in tournament time. So, yeah, I, I would think that we would see him at least a little bit against Duke. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think are some of what's going to uh, be the main factors of how Saturday's result will be determined? I think the inside battle. I, I think that, you know, Luke May had 
uh, one of those career games that he always seems to have against Zion. Let, let me ask you, they guarded him mostly with Jack White when Zion left, and with, with such a, you had to make such a quick decision, I would doubt that that would remain the case, at least often, um, this Saturday. How do, would, how do, what kind of switch or change do you think Kay might possibly make? I might put Bolden on him because I know that Bolden struggled against Brooks. Uh, Bolden did not have a good game against Garrison Brooks. So maybe try someone else on Brooks and, and see if Bolden can take care of May for you. Um, that that would be at least something that I would try. <laughs> unless there's unless there's some obvious reason that Kay knows and I don't not to do that. But I feel like that would be that would be kind of the natural thing because, yeah, the matchup was not good against either guy for Duke with what they had in the, in the first game. Um so yeah, but I think the inside battle is going to be um, going to be one of the main keys. You know, at least you, you can't let Carolina kill you inside like they basically did in that first game with all the points and with all the uh, rebounding. You know, you've got to at least mitigate the damage somewhat, uh, not let them just have their way in there. Yeah, I mean, especially I mean Duke. I'm not saying they would have won or even come close, but it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. I think. I mean, they were down um, something like ten with with a couple minutes left, and they convert. They got like a couple turnovers, and they would just give them back. I think five times. I, I remember counting in the second half, they would turn UNC over and literally immediately give it right back. So it's just making sure you're efficient on those turnovers, especially now when they're not really creating turnovers. That was the last game against a legit competition. I mean. No disrespect to Miami, but um, I mean Carolina is a higher tier, and that was the last game against a higher tier where they were able to force turnovers. And you could say, yeah, desperation possibly created some of those. But do you think we might see more of the uh, the zone press, or or would that be playing right into UNC's hands since they run more than any team in the country besides uh, Savannah State? And they're going to run against whatever you do. So, yeah, I would think that it would be good to show them a different look. I would think, yeah, zone press, just just give them something. They've still got a freshman point guard, maybe the end of the season, but he's still a freshman, despite what everybody likes to say about their freshman at this point in the year. He is still a freshman. He hasn't been through an entire season yet. So, yeah, to throw the zone press at him, see what he can do uh, against that and see if that slows them down at least a little bit. And then if they, you know, if they break it on a regular basis, then you'll try something else. But, no, I would definitely – have that and I don't know if you start off the game with it or wait until a key moment to to break it out but yeah no I think that that will we'll see that at some point on Saturday yes yeah if we see that I would assume we'd see more Jordan Goldwire I mean it's scary to me that uh UNC with how good a shooting team they are they beat Duke pretty handily while struggling to put it lightly from deep so hopefully they they don't get it going and I mean with Duke UNC you just never know you kind of throw the records away I mean when Zion got injured that just changed everything. You rarely see blowouts in this series. So as long as everyone who starts the game healthy stays healthy, I think it, it should be an entertaining game at least. And, uh, yeah, I think the inside battle will determine a lot. I think Cam Reddish, I think this could be a huge game for him. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Sean, thank you so much. Is there, is there anything else you've seen about Duke or the players or anything ACC-related you see, well, let me just say, Kay said it would be probably not even the first uh, ACC tournament game. He wouldn't make any, he's not making anything in stone. But he said hopefully Duke plays more than one game in the ACC tournament so Zion can get some uh, work before the NCAA tournament. So it didn't sound like 
Zolich, it doesn't sound like he's playing Saturday or possibly the first game of the ACC tournament. Yeah, but at this time of the year, you always wonder about gamesmanship and things like that. Now, K doesn't do that a lot. Like they're they're more straightforward about we're not going to have this guy than I think a lot of teams are. Um, you don't get a lot of information about what the injury is or when they're coming back, but if they're not going to have him for a game, you generally find out early. They're not going to make it a game-time decision. So I don't know that it's gamesmanship. I think that he's just telling us what it, what it seems like at this moment. So, yeah, I would think that it would be a surprise at this point if we see Zion for Saturday. Um, again, I, I, I didn't interpret the hopefully we play more than one game as meaning he wouldn't play in the first one, just that he needs playing time. He needs to play back into shape, and he needs time on the floor so hopefully we give him a couple of games to do that. Oh, and you know what? I, I mean, I, I would probably get crap if I didn't. I mean, it's not a huge story, but still at the same time, I think some might want to know if you might have uh, t- any information on just the the communication between of what went of what's going on with Joey Baker. Is there anything you can tell us about? Why the the red shirt? I, I I mean I I don't think it was any sort of conspiracy. And if you want to believe that Baker might have been pressured into it, that's your own deal. I am very player first, and on this one, I you know what I try. I told I have total trust that Kay handled things um, as he should. I obviously don't know. Is there anything you can tell um, anyone about uh, the Joey Baker situation? I don't know much more than you do. I I do know that they did talk about it beforehand. Uh, It wasn't just like a spur of the moment thing, like Baker get in there. No, I mean, they did. They did talk about it beforehand. And I think it's just he's been doing better in practice. He's been, you know, impressive. You see it a lot more in football usually than basketball where they decide he's done well enough in practice that we're taking the red shirt off. And so I think they, they were down a guy and he was doing better. And so so that's kind of what I've pieced together just from what it seems like probably happened. I don't have any inside information that that is, but no, I don't see that there was anything. I don't see that he was pressured into it or, or that it was a panic move or anything like that. I don't see any evidence that that's the case. I had to ask and that's totally fine. I don't think there's anything out of the ordinary with it either. Hopefully he is able to contribute. If not, I think he's still what he's gone, what he's been through in a good way in practice and, kind of building his body it'll help him for next year no matter what sean thank you so much for giving your time Uh, a lot of great insight into uh duke right now it's a lot of very interesting storylines it's not just basketball there's a lot of interesting storylines about what's going on injury wise about what's going on mentally about just how i mean this is such an interesting team on and off the court so i I think there was a lot of great insight you gave Uh, i assume you are going to be continuing are you going to the ACC tournament? Yep, I will be well, there. Where is that this year? Charlotte. It's in Charlotte this year. Okay. So I don't know that our, our hotel was supposed to be booked today. I'm going to be optimistic and assume that that got taken care of, but I don't know for sure. But, yeah, I will be there starting Tuesday. Well, again, great information. Um, Sean Crest on Twitter, right? That's the handle? Yep, yep. All right, follow him. Does great work. And uh, last question, um, your – fatherly appreciation for Jack White. Was that better or worse than an electric blanket? Oh, nothing is better than an electric blanket. I stalk <laughs> your Twitter account. Yeah, but Sean, uh, he, he was raving about uh, electric blankets. Uh, you can find that. You can find uh, information on uh, 
on random uh, ladies who are asking Sean to set them up with uh, Duke players <laughs> and whoever uh, turned down Buck Myers, shame on that uh, lady. She doesn't deserve him. So, uh, yeah, lots of good information from Sean besides basketball. You get some life advice. Uh, you get everything. So, again, Sean, thanks so much. I will. I hope to be talking to you soon. Either way, uh, great, great job with the coverage. And, uh, yeah, it should be a fun postseason. Yep, thanks a lot. Anytime.